0: You're listening to WERA 96.7 FM, and this is Media on the Radio. Media on the Radio features stories from media professionals, everyone from journalists to filmmakers to marketing experts, to try and give an entree into the entire media field. This episode continues our series on The Lookout DC, which is a collaborative co-working space for mostly filmmakers and video production professionals. This episode is with Emma Manke Heidem. She is the talent behind Sunnyside Productions, which is a production company that specializes in virtual reality video.
1: Chris Milk talks a lot about VR being the empathy machine, and certainly, when you can like look around a place and see, you know, people's living conditions, like in a Syrian refugee camp, or for our film in Nepal, in you know, some very poor homes. Um, that can give you a greater sense of empathy. When they look at the camera, it does feel like they're looking at you.
0: We get to chatting about the technology itself, how it's evolved, and also what it's like to work in an industry that is just starting.
1: There are no rules, really, yet. And it's fun to be a part of, hopefully, helping to create those rules.
0: This is Devin Gallagher. I'm the host of Media on the Radio. And thanks for listening.
1: In a way, I come to film and video production maybe from a different route of a lot of people. A lot of people grew up and they just really loved movies and that's what made them want to be in film. And not that I disliked movies, but honestly, I didn't watch a ton of movies. My parents, that just wasn't like an emphasis. We didn't have cable. They didn't really take me to movies. So that wasn't it. It was that I had to take a video production class in, I think it was eighth or ninth grade and I realized that I really liked making videos and it was a lot of fun the whole process was fun I kinda felt like I had a bit of a knack for the editing part of it too and so from there I thought you know maybe I'm gonna do more of this and it just kept building from there.
0: NYU has has a reputation as being one of the best film schools in the country and what was what was that experience like for you?
1: I mean I really loved it there Um, pretty small class sizes which was nice you're doing production from your freshman year even if it's more photography based or audio based in in your freshman year um you get to or at least when i was there and i don't think this is true anymore which breaks my heart a little bit but you know we were literally cutting film on steambeck machines and like taping it together to edit it and it really makes you think a little harder about the cuts that you're making and I'm just really glad that I got to go through that process. It was just really fun getting to run around the city and make films, and I worked with pretty much every type of film format, which, honestly, I'm 99% sure I'll never get to work with film again in my actual career, but um, it was really nice to have that experience and to learn from that, you know, the ground level and the history of it to now.
0: I've had, actually, three or four Um, NYU grads on this podcast that went to film school some of them went to it was like half film and half interactive or half film and half you know community development or something like that Um, so they have kind of these different programs I didn't know about Um, but what what would you say as compared to and you can't necessarily compare it to other film schools because you didn't necessarily go to other film schools um, but what what would you say the biggest takeaway that you you got from a place like NYU would be that that really helped propel you.
1: I'm glad I, was went to, I went to NYU because they have a strong liberal arts program. And it, so I wasn't just taking film classes. And I did have one professor who sort of said, you know, if, if all you take is film classes, what are you going to make films about? And I think that's very valid. I think, I guess then what I would say the biggest takeaway was for me was the best way to be a good filmmaker is to like live and experience life and learn, you know, taking as much knowledge as you can about anything and everything, because you kind of never know where inspiration is going to strike.
0: Cool. So that, that's true, too, of, uh, of what I've heard from other people, too, is is, you know, but it, it's also you go to film school to, to then go make films or be part of the independent, you know, uh, video production, whereas um, certain business schools or certain other schools give you some tools that you can kind of apply to a lot of different things. But really, I think um, from what I've because I didn't go to film. I went to a liberal arts journalism, had a journalism degree. But what I find is is that um, people that really take advantage of that time end up um, kind of ahead. And then the, the people like myself who started off you know, making films and kind of uh, learning as I went and being self-taught or being group-taught from other people uh, it just takes a little bit longer. Yeah,
1: I think that's, that's probably true to some extent, although, too, I mean, at least for, like, my class, you know, I was, like, was, well, I was supposed to be class of 8. I graduated in 07, though, but so, like, a lot of the people that I graduated with or that graduated the year I was supposed to graduate graduated into a recession. So that advantage that they had may not have actually been there. But, I mean, I, I will say, too, like, you know, everybody I've kept in touch with, most people are doing pretty well. They are making a living in their field, which is not something everybody in the arts can say. And um, I definitely think the connections that you made at NYU, both like from an internship perspective and a professional perspective, but also just your fellow students um, were definitely really valuable. And, you know, I I see really interesting things that people are doing now and people, you know, coming together and collaborating, even if they maybe hadn't kept in touch, but they found out they had a similar interest in such and such project or that kind of stuff. And so in that sense, too,
0: I think. What would you consider yourself more of like a technical producer that you're interested in the technology versus kind of a creative storyteller or does it split down the middle or does it go one way or the other
1: i mean i think unfortunately right now is you have to be both um i would absolutely love to not have to deal with the technical side ever and to just be able to focus on the creative even the logistical doesn't bother me technical just drives me crazy, you know, technology as amazing as it is nowadays, everything still goes wrong all the time and it's just stressful and I it's not why I got into this. I got into this to be creative, to tell stories. Um but that said, you kind of have to be a one-man band a lot of the time nowadays. And especially now that I'm transitioning into VR, that the technical all of a sudden like increased by tenfold even. Um, and so that was definitely a big learning curve for me. Um, I, luckily, I've always been fairly tech-savvy. So uh, I've managed to... You can to... set the
0: VCR, that sort of yeah. thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. My parents still call me from Minnesota about that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it... It's not my favorite thing to do, so I would love to be in a position in the future to have somebody to just deal with all of that and not me not have to worry about it.
0: Right. And so you mentioned VR, and you say that you've kind of moved into doing a lot more VR or virtual reality video. And I got first introduced to VR with through the Google Cardboard. And a friend of mine in, uh, that worked at New York Times that uh, collab- collaborated with people like Chris she didn't collaborate but new york times collaborated with chris milk and he's kind of a pioneer in this in the space and and it kind of blew my mind just watching i think it was the flight and then the it's like the, it has the train in it have you seen that one where the train come, kind of comes directly at you oh really no i haven't yeah, seen that yeah it's an one. homage to train arriving at right. the station right yeah um and it and it just kind of blew my mind and then i bought the 20 dollar you know google cardboard and i showed some of my relatives back in pittsburgh it it is this new fantastic phenomenon that has happened, um, but a lot of the older uh, freelancers that I that you know always are up on the technology and kind of very suspect of it, um, say, "Oh, we don't know what's how this is going to work yet. We don't know how it's going to be implemented." Um, but you say you're you're doing work in that space now. So can you talk about what that's like and and what kind of work you're doing?
1: Yeah. Um... I started all right well I learned to shoot 360 when I was working at the company that does media for museums um, we did both video and interactive media there and so I shot uh, the the museum that I learned how to do it for was the college football hall of fame. And I was really lucky. I got to shoot at 13 different games. I would literally be in the middle of the field as the team's running out, fireworks going off. It was quite an experience. Um, and it was also a crash course because it was a really intensive situation. We had like a minute to get on the field, get the shot, make sure nothing went wrong and get off. And then also it was like, you know, I think we shot something like 65 videos over 10, 360 videos over 10 weeks or whatever for the whole, uh, installation. And so um, that's where I learned how to do it. And then I sort of, that was before the headsets. That was 2013. It it was on an iPad actually at the Hall of Fame. And, but I sort of had a feeling like, I think this could catch on. And especially once we had installed it and I saw people reacting, even just to the iPads, being able to look around like a window into this world for their favorite team. And they were like, oh my God, what? This is amazing. And so I sort of thought to myself, well, I think this is going to catch on. And I want to start a company that Focuses on this, um, but it took like a year of like you know saving up money, doing some research into the technology and um, that kind of stuff before I actually made the jump. And um, so I launched my company in March of 2015, and uh, basically I went I went to South by Southwest, kind of launched my company there, and was taking in all the info from people like Chris Milk who were there um, who had been doing it and they were all kind of like the time is now it's about to explode get in now and I was like cool <laughs> um, and so yeah so I've that's been my focus since then I still do traditional video um, but the VR is definitely where I want to uh, focus most of my energy and so I mean you know what's paying the bills is, is marketing certainly because I have a non-fiction and documentary background. Um, I would love to do any kind of, like, journalism or documentary projects, um, but the the money comes from branded experiences. Um, Can you
0: give an example of a branded experience? Yeah,
1: so um, I am currently in post-production on a piece for Estee Lauder where you're like behind the scenes with Kendall Jenner Um, you know you kind of feel like you're really there you can see everything that goes into shooting a commercial you can see all the crew and all the lights and that kind of stuff and she kind of like waves and says hey this is my dressing room you know like that kind of stuff so that's a branded experience. Um, I'm also though on the documentary side working on an interactive VR documentary or well it's not entirely vr it's like half vr half not vr but it's all interactive some of it will be web i think we're hopefully going to get to do a headset version it's about the uh, cast system or the lingering effects of the cast system in nepal so we just shot that um in september and october and you got
0: to go to nepal to do yep. that mm-hmm. cool. yeah it
1: was amazing um and so you know we're just even beginning post production on that now
0: well it, it's funny because and this goes back to again chris milk and and uh some of the work that i followed with him is in one of the one of the new york times uh collaborations is you were in the middle of the ebola outbreak and you're, you're standing there and i looked over and there's this huge uh, guy with a hazmat suit right next to me and you're kind of looking around and people are staring at you because they're staring at the the the, the strange uh you know you know astronaut with the the camera set up that's there Um, and so it is, it's, you can't get more point of view, um, than that. And it, and it really, it, it says a lot about how media can really put you in a different place and transport you. Um, but even the practical use of that, which is, um, I know that he brought those, those things to the UN, to decision makers and say, look, this is the ground level view, which you very difficult to do, um. You know, it, you can do it with documentary film and you can do it with... But to really kind of put yourself in that position. And can you talk a little bit about the actual filmmaking itself? Because this is one of the criticisms I hear from the kind of the, the brass that have not gotten into it in the traditional uh, video media is that it's how do you how do you dictate a point of view because you can look anywhere? And how do you direct the viewer and things like that? What would you say about that?
1: Right. So I actually... these are kind of like fighting words but I think that people just need to get over that I think VR is as different from video as video is from photography and you can't tell stories the same way and you shouldn't be telling like a story that's going to be a great film isn't necessarily going to be a great VR piece Um, you know the sense of presence is one reason like if people want to do a VR project it's like well why why do you want to do this in VR and Typically, I would tell people, like, OK, do you want there to be a sense of presence? Um, you know, empathy. Chris Milk talks a lot about VR being the empathy machine. And certainly when you can, like, look around a place and see, you know, people's living conditions, like in a Syrian refugee camp or for our film in Nepal in, you know, some very poor homes um that can give you a greater sense of empathy when they look at the camera it does feel like they're looking at you it breaks that fourth wall in a really intense way way more even than if people look at the camera in a traditional uh, video or even is it just something where there's a lot of interesting stuff happening all around you you know college football was purely experiential there was no story but very few people get the chance to be on a football field as the team runs out and so it's a and there's stuff just happening everywhere around you and so you know I would, I don't often encourage people to do 360 just for the sake of, or I don't, I never encourage them to do 360 for the sake of 360. And in fact, I've had some people approach me and say, hey, I think we want to do a 360 video of this. And I've kind of said, you know, honestly, that sounds like a traditional video to me.
0: At this point in time, um, the people that are in this space are still kind of pioneer pioneering it because it's, the technology is not so plug and play and,
1: The reassuring thing is like you watch the New York Times pieces and you can see stitching errors. Right. So Mm -hmm. I'll get really frustrated with myself because I'm like, I can't get rid of the stitch line. But like the technology is just not perfect yet. And it can't be yet. Um, Getting clients to understand that sometimes can be hard. um, But I think most of the time people do understand it's a a new technology. And so that won't be perfect. But, you know, it's still really cool for what it is right now. Um, Also. I think it's it's really fun to be involved right now because as stressful as it can be trying to figure stuff out on your own and, like, I pretty much have to do a test shoot for almost every shoot I do but just because you want to make sure that it's going to turn out, especially if you only have one or two shots to do it. Um, but, like, there are no rules really yet. And it's fun to be a part of hopefully helping to create those rules. It's really fun to be able to experiment and just kind of see what happens. And people are also... Maybe more collaborative and, and less competitive in the industry right now, like people know that this won't succeed without each other. And so, like, I work with other people who do this all the time. Also, too, there just aren't very many of us. So, you know, if I have a really big project, I will hire other people who also do this or if they have a really big project, they'll hire me, things like that. And we'll help each other with questions like hey i'm doing this but it's not working do you have any idea what could, the problem could be you know that kind of stuff and and people are really willing to help each other right now which is really nice
0: someone in college now that that maybe wants to get into this space there's probably not a lot of courses in a traditional college curriculum um in you know the middle of this the country on this uh, but what could they be kind of priming themselves to to learn or learning to prime themselves to get into a VR space.
1: Um. Actually, I will say there's a surprising number of schools already starting to offer at least some level of this, which is mm-hmm. yeah, it's really exciting. Um, I mean, but like since everybody's experimenting, you know, and nobody really knows what they're doing, it is kind of a weird thing to take a class on. Um, I, I would say you know if you can get an internship with somebody doing it, um. That's probably your best bet if your school doesn't offer courses. And you, I mean, honestly, even if your school does, just because, again, there it's so early days. Like, just the more you can work with as many people doing this as possible, the more you're going to learn. And you know, go to events. Go like most cities have a VR meetup. There's a DC VR meetup that I'm pretty involved with, and um, they put on great events. You can learn not just within the video space, but any other ways that the technology is being being utilized, which can give you surprising ideas sometimes even if it's completely unrelated and so um i would say just read a lot (laughs) try to work with anybody you can work with and yeah and try to meet other people in the space at events in whatever way you can there's also you know conferences like south by southwest or oculus connect or vrla that kind of stuff
0: awesome well thanks for doing this i appreciate your time and Really fascinating that you're able to find clients that are um, probably, I assume, bigger clients um, that that have a budget to really, because at this point, it probably needs a, a little bit of bigger budget.
1: The price point doesn't have to be
0: unaffordable. Like
1: You can do a very simple experiential VR experience for a pretty reasonable price. And, you know, I've I've worked with nonprofits and some smaller groups, too. Of course, you know, the sky is also the limit. You can make it interactive and you can do all sorts of special things. You can build 4D experiences with scents and fans. (laughs) And um, (laughs) so, like, the sky is the limit on the top of pricing. But actually, like, if people shouldn't be too concerned about the price point on the low end, if, if they want to dive in, there's you can actually accomplish it relatively affordably.
0: Great. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on and chatting with yeah, us. Yeah, thanks for having informing me. Informing our audience. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> you can go to waitwhatpro.com to find past episodes of Media on the Radio. Please subscribe on iTunes to Media on the Radio, where each week it'll send the podcast directly to your phone. You don't have to do anything. It'll just send it right to you.